everybody out there. This is the Cool Bros Podcast, which we just came together and, and put that name together for this special event. Uh, we are super glad to be able to be involved with this uh, fundraiser to try to help our, our friends and families and our brothers and sisters in Houston during this difficult time. So it's the least we could do is to get together just a, a star-studded uh, collaboration here of different podcasters from different shows and, and try to throw something together and, and just try to help raise some money. If you haven't donated or if you haven't helped somebody, stop what you're doing right now as far as listening and go find somewhere where you can donate and try to help these people out. I know for uh, my fact of, of where I live, we've got several semi-trucks that are set up that people are just throwing stuff into and trying to ship out and trying to go down there and help and rebuild. So uh, it's a it's a great, great cause that's going on. We're glad to be a part of it. And who we are is an symbol of, like I said, different podcasts uh, that we've all met through going to Dallas, Texas, to the Texas Frightmare. And uh, myself, I'm Rick Morgan. I come from a show called The Hell Mean Power Hour. And I'm one of the hosts on here. And other co-hosts we have, we got Lance Langford from The Horror Returns. What's going on, Lance? Oh, hey, man. I uh, appreciate you putting this thing together, man. You guys uh, kind of got the ball rolling here. And, uh, of course, I live in the Houston area. It's, it's just devastating, man. It's uh, just now getting back to work tomorrow. A lot of people aren't even back to normal. And my wife had to remind me I'm complaining about little stuff. Yeah. And uh, this isn't the time to be complaining about little stuff. She's got a point. Yeah, I know that uh, there's another show that I'm a fan of called Scary Dad, and Billy Sturt is uh, the host of that. And his sister supposedly has lost everything. The house and everything is gone. So, you know, it's 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 uh, it's devastating when you kind of start looking at things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we got you involved. And along with you as well, from The Horror Returns, we got Mr. Brian Stitcher with us. What's happening, Brian? Hey, pleasure to be on. Yep. He's also uh, on the Horror Returns. Great, great show. If you haven't checked them out, you need to check out their show. It's fantastic. And a fellow that I met through Lance at, at Dallas, uh, at Texas Frightmare, is, is Mr. Kevin Nez from the E-Society podcast and the Mac Nez podcast. I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting something. He's probably on something else, too. The guy's kind of a domino. He's kind of got everything going on. But what is happening, Nez? Hey, thanks, guys, for having me uh, be a part of this uh, awesome event. Uh, I'm out here in California, and... Born and raised in Oakland, California, and I just got into the podcasting uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, I started with the MacNez podcast. That was my solo show. And then I kind of just lingered off into uh, the E-Society uh, with my brother, Theo. Uh, he couldn't be here right now. He's uh, busy. And uh, I just started another show with um, with the host from uh, Horacopia podcast, uh, Jesse. Um, we started another show, a third show that I'm a part of called the Big Guys podcast. And we've only done two episodes with that. But um, the, good, the response for that show has been good. I, I was kind of shocked. I didn't think anyone would uh, catch on to that. But everyone likes the, the two little topics we've covered so far. But uh, once again, man, I'm so glad to be here, man. And, and all you guys, Horror Returns, Hail Ming Power Hour, two awesome shows everyone needs to check out. And I'm sure you guys already know those shows are awesome. So, But I just had to say my piece because I love both of the shows. Oh, so nice, so nice. And with me, my brother, the guy that makes Hail Ming happen, is Danny Bennett with me. He's a, I'm from Tennessee. He's from Tennessee as well. We're kind of best friends for over 20 years or so. Well, I consider him a best friend. I don't know what he considers me. But what's up, Danny? But it was a mouthful. Um, well, yeah, it's it's good to be here with everybody. Um, I'm really glad to be uh, part of the, the effort to help uh, my brothers and sisters over in in Houston. Uh, we're not that far away, and actually, we were talking my my family and I about 
going down there and, and offering some support. We have a break of school coming up, and, and if they still need things, you know, we were considering just heading down there, putting our two hands in the mix. Um, but it's it's great to be here. Thanks for including me, and uh, thanks for all the other podcasters for jumping in uh, and, uh, and helping out in the gap, because I, I imagine we'll raise some money and help some people. Yep. Yeah, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know what other podcast you folks are listening to at the time, but this is going to be kind of a little bit horror-based, but almost kind of uh, nostalgic in, in the same form. I think uh, the the movie we're going to talk about hits a lot of different buttons. It's not just a horror movie. It's one of those roller coaster rides you kind of grew up with. So I'm excited to get to talk about it, and just the fact of we lost the great George Romero not too long ago. Uh, it's a great opportunity to, to talk about uh, talk about Creep Show. I don't know if we want to go ahead and dive straight into that, or there's some other things we want to talk about before we get there. What do you guys think? Um, right before right before we get into this, uh, I saw I noticed you had a picture that you met George uh, Romero. Where was that at? I've met George three different times. I met him once in Chicago and twice at uh, at Dallas at uh, Texas Frightmare. All right, cool. I met him once. I met him at uh, San Diego Comic Con and. Uh, I was just starstruck. I mean, oh, yeah. almost to to the point of where I was just like shaking as I was waiting my turn to talk to him. Yep. And but he was an amazing guy. I I just kissed his ass and and I just oh I couldn't believe it. And he saw that too because he went he went whoa brother calm down and and, <laughs> <laughs> and I kept telling him I said man I love you man thank you so much for what you have done and. And this is a, another one, uh, Creep Show. I mean, I, when I first heard of this, it was uh, the comic uh, that was out. I used to sit in a bookstore right around the corner from my house and, and just read books. And this was one I just I thought the cover was cool, so I picked it up and just started flipping through it and didn't realize that a movie was coming shortly after that. And once I saw the movie, I was like, oh my god! I had no, I knew it was Stephen King, but I had no idea George Romero was involved with this. Uh, until the, his name flashed across the screen, then I was really hyped. But I love this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Are you are you sure you weren't shaken with fear because George Romero is like seven and a half he's, feet tall? He's a huge and, guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I met him here at uh, the the there's a tattoo and horror festival here in Nashville, and I met him there. And him and Tom, Tony Todd, man, I mean, they could be tag team wrestlers, both humongous people. Yep. Um, and then I met George again when he uh, he pulled up to the uh, urinal next to me at uh, Texas Frightmare. I didn't talk to him because he was peeing, but you know it was still one of those moments. It's like, hey, George Romero's peeing right next to me. That's pretty right? cool. I think somebody else tried to talk to him, and I was like, that's nah, bad form, man. I mean, come on. The uh, the first year that I went to Texas Frightmare, it was all a Living Dead celebration. They had most people from the original cast and that stuff. And I took uh, oh, nice. I took my buddy uh, David Foster with me, who's uh, I mean Romero is everything to this guy. And we went all out, man. We got to go to the theater and watch the thirty five millimeter print of Night of the Living Dead, and sitting beside us was D Wallace and Malcolm McDowell. Ken Foray, George was a few rows back. So, I mean, you're, you're sitting here with all these people. Of course, I have to admit, I looked over at Dee Wallace, and I was like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and she just kind of went, okay. <laughs> and uh, so we went to do that, and then there was an after party for that. And we walked outside, and we weren't for sure where to go because it was from, from the theater to wherever this other building is. We don't mm-hmm. know anything about Dallas, but uh, – Ken Foray standing outside and we say, "Hey man, uh, you know where this 
this party thing is. He said, yeah, man, he said, just follow me. So we're following Ken Foray <laughs> to this party, <laughs> you know, and my, again, my buddy David's just freaking out, you know. Well, we're at this after party thing, and we're eating pizza with some of the original members <clears throat> of Night of the Living Dead and all this stuff. Savini's over in the corner, and it's, oh, everything's going on. But then David disappears. He says, I, I want to go outside and smoke. So, no, actually, I went with him. I said, okay, let's go out. And we go stand out there, and George is standing out there smoking a cigarette and drinking a little bit. And he just, you know, mm-hmm. David's walking through the door, and he just freezes. He won't even step out the door because there's the man, right? And I'm like, dude, just go on out there, you know? So we stand there for a little bit, and I said, all right, I'm going to go back in. And he said, I'm going to stay out here for a while. So I go back in. I'm sitting there, and like 10 minutes later, he comes running in, and he's got something in his hand. He said, here, hide this. Put it somewhere. I'm like, okay, and he hands it to me, and it's a broken highball glass. I'm like, what the heck has he done? <laughs> <laughs> and he takes back off, and he comes back later. He's like, man, have you still got that? I'm like, yeah. I said, well, are you afraid we're going to get thrown out or something because you broke a glass? He said, no, man. He said, George was standing out there drinking. He went to set the glass on top of the trash can, and it fell and broke. He said, oh, I'm done. I've had enough. And he walks off, and he said, I grabbed a glass. He said, I've got Romero's DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was a long story for such a a short punt there, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh, no, that but, was great, man. That was great. But uh, he should have went back and took a cigarette butt. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So. Oh, there you go. But I think he actually built like a box with some LED lights and stuff in it, and it just sits there and glows. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, come so, on now. <laughs> diehard Romero fan, man. So, uh, but yeah, George is is super nice. I I knew that his health was bad last year at Texas because he was signing, but he wasn't personalizing he was only just writing his mm-hmm. name and he said it was getting harder for him to write so i knew then that you know people were saying it and he's you know just his health is going down so it's it's an absolute shame but man the movies he left us with you know they can remake them all they want they're not going to have the same impact of what the originals did that's also that's- true this one was. Uh, I thought this this particular film was a little bit uh, I, i'm glad i'm glad you guys picked this one because it's a it, it's a bit of a departure from what he normally does it's right. a lot more comedy oriented and i kept wondering as i was watching it, i kept thinking well did different directors do this because that's what they do of course with all the anthology stuff now but for one director to put all this together the way he did was was really phenomenal absolutely yeah i, I think so as well just the fact of like you said usually people just take the parts and they just combine it in, in an afterthought but to lay out this massive of an idea and and to set up an anthology that I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. It's still my favorite anthology of any anthology movies that are put out there. This one to me is the staple. When you describe a horror anthology, this is the one I'm gonna grab. And it's so well done and, and it goes together so well. Um just the fact of it moving from the comic book stuff into the into the actual film and all that stuff is just brilliant, man. It's it's so well done. That's what I loved about this. I mean, like me reading the comic before I saw the movie um, I liked how it kept that comic book feel. It yeah. didn't. It, it didn't just kind of li- linger off into just a regular horror movie. It kept it. I mean, even the the little slight comedy puns that they were throwing in it, it was just like like in the comic book. So, I assume he must have just read it over and over, and then just 
pieced it together in his mind what uh, his vision of what he wanted to be on the screen and and i agree with you rick man this is probably my favorite one too as well i, I love this one the second one was awesome the third one i didn't care for but this one out of all the horror anthologies that we've had this far this is my favorite one of all time cool brian what you think man this is definitely a classic and as you were saying earlier you know this this is a lot of nostalgia for me and uh, just just going through this cast list, there's a lot of people that you know you really forget was in this until you rewatch it. You know, you got Tom Atkins, yep. Tom Savini, Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. You know, the list goes on. It's Stephen King himself. Yeah, you know, <laughs> at his cocaine-addled best, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great point because I think it gave this more credibility than it would have. I mean, the fact that it's got Tim Danza and Leslie Nielsen in it is just sure. like what. George Romero's doing a movie with with who, and I, I think that kind of made people go, okay, maybe this is a you know a legit you know beyond just a low grade horror event going on here. So, yeah, man, it, it is surprising when you watch back and you see these people, and it's like, man, this is this is solid. You got you know really good actors. It's put together well. It's it's a it's a classic. So, came out in '82. I was 12 years old when this came out, and this is the perfect movie. It even says it on the cover, the most fun you'll have ever being scared. That's exactly what it was, because at 12 years old, you're still at that point of, okay, I want you to scare me, but don't scare me too much. You know, you want that roller coaster (laughs) ride. And that's exactly what this movie is, even though, we'll talk about it later on, but Fluffy in the crate scared the crap out of me. (laughs) 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 So you guys, yeah, no, no CGI there. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it was shot for eight million dollars, and it did over twenty-one million dollars in in the box office. So it did really well. And uh, like you said, it, it, it the way that it goes is when you start trying to make sequels off these things, they pump less money into it. Even though I still enjoy the second one. Just like we said earlier, it's just really hard to beat this one. It's hard to beat this one with with current anthologies, really. So, uh, and and the fun of it, like we said, of it tying into the comic and all that stuff. So, uh, I say we just kind of jump into this one. Y'all, do you think? You bet. All right. So, you've got your opening, right? You've got the wraparound with Tom Atkins, like we were saying, who plays the dad that you just absolutely hate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the fact that that Stephen King's son that's in the bed that that's you know reading the comic, uh, Joe. Really? Yeah, that's Joe King. Yeah, is that Joe, Joe Hill? Joe, yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe King. <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> uh, I always think about Stephen King naming his kid Joe King. I'm joking. Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just before we jump into like a like a scene by scene, I, I think it might be good to find out what either is everyone's favorite part of the anthology, or that's, is the one that affected them the most when they first saw it. Oh, that's you know, the a good one idea. That, that 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 stuck in their memory the sure. most because you know that that kind of gives everybody where we're coming from. Then we can start going scene by scene, but we get bogged down when we go scene by scene. So gotcha. And so I'll start off. I'll say that, that when I was a kid, the one that stuck with me the most, I think the best one is the crate, but as a kid, the one that stuck with me the most was the Leslie Nielsen. Um, oh, yeah. Something that tied you over. Something that tied you, you over. Yep. Yeah, it was the, the Ted dancing, the, the head in the sand thing. I mean, that messed me up. Yep. Just something about that, you know, it kind of has all those those trappings of like, 
uh, the vanishing, you know, where we're like, you have to get in the hole, you know, well, something will happen to her if you don't get in the hole. It's that whole psychological play that was much scarier than monsters. It was just, you know, you have to trust this guy who obviously has a plan for you, but what are you going to do? He might hurt somebody you love. And, and the one that scared me the most was they're creeping up on you. So the, uh, Yep. The swarm of, of cockroaches at the end. I mean, I, I I don't think I could even finish watching that. I was so scared. But uh, you know, I was you know it was 1982, so I was eight, yeah. and I probably saw it a couple of years later. But yeah, those are the two, like the 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 tide one. And now I can watch it. I love Leslie Nielsen, but I, I won't get into that. We can just <laughs> go on to whoever's affected them the most or was their favorite one when they first saw it. What about you, Lance? You know what? I couldn't agree more, man. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's something to tide you over was far far and away my favorite. And I, I think I just enjoyed seeing Leslie Nielsen in such a different role from what he normally plays. He was so darn sadistic. And uh, the thing about it is, every, every time you see this guy, it's just a straight-up comedy. And this was... Uh, he, he was kind of gleefully laughing and sort of had that, that comedic side to him, but it was for all the wrong reasons. And I actually found myself wanting more. Um, by the time this one was over, I wanted to know what made him that way. I wanted to know if maybe uh, this was some kind of a revenge thing. I, I'm thinking that he had all those VHS tapes that he probably does this regularly to a lot of different people out there on that private uh, beach that he owns. He seemed but to have the method down, didn't he? he? He seemed to have the method down. I just really wanted to know more. So this one left me wanting a lot more. The The main thing I remember about the, the creeping up on you one is... Uh, E.G. Marshall, you guys remember the old uh, radio drama he used to do many, many years ago? Not me. I don't, but his voice is extraordinarily familiar. He does a lot of voice work. Well, Danny and I know him from being the the president in Superman Part 2. Superman 2. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) God help us. That's Zod. (laughs) Yeah, this was, uh, yeah, something to tide you over far and away. My favorite. Um, I guess I'll go next. Um... Yeah, I, I guess uh, they're creeping on you is probably the one that that still gets me to this day. Just just the amount of roaches that are in this, yeah, and, and the fact that you know you got. I mean, granted, he's a terrible person, but just being this kind of hermit-like germaphobe that can't leave his his uh, penthouse, and you just got all these roaches just constantly showing up, no matter what you do, and you know it. That one still gets me to this day. Still creeps me out. They said that was the most expensive thing uh, yep. was the, uh, getting the roaches for this whole movie. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, just the volume. Because you couldn't do CGI things like you can now. I mean, I'm sure they did things like they put a black backdrop behind a hundred of them to make it look like they were on top of each other or something. But it was all practical and you had to have roach wranglers. And roach wranglers are probably not cheap. Yeah, well, <laughs> and the fact I think that they that's had six-figure salary, huh? They had to go ship them in too. I mean, they were actually going to another country to where they could find these caves where all these were were at. And I've seen, you know, the documentaries about it. And Savini would say, "Hey, we would drop these cockroaches in that set." He said, and they would just disappear. He said it was amazing that you could just dump a pile of them in there and they would just be gone within seconds. Then they had a lawsuit from the set next door. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. If you haven't seen the documentary Just Desserts, it's fantastic. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's, it's, okay, so you're that's a true story about getting a, a lawsuit from the from the next door set. 
No, no, I just, I just figured that they probably. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. He had me going, man. Uh, but there is a documentary called Just Desserts, though, that is fantastic, and it breaks all these down, you know, step by step through the process. Uh, it, it's, you know, heavy on the effects, you know, talking to Savini about how he pulled a lot of the stuff off, and so it's, it's a great documentary. If you love this movie, I'd highly recommend checking it out. So, that's a good one. What do you say, all Kevin? Right, um, yeah. Um. My favorite is the crate. I mean, I love that story and just everything about it. But, um, yeah, I have to go with something that tied you over. That one was to me was the scariest. Other than I just love the whole uh, zombie aspect of it. But being trapped in a hole. I mean, even Ted Danson and um, what's her face from Dawn of the Dead, Galen Ross. Galen Ross. She was she was a uh, Becky Vickers. Um, holding your breath. I mean that 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 scene when the final scene or not the final scene but the final scene when ted dancing when they show him completely underwater if you sit there and time that i mean it was it was actually a long time for just one shot with him holding his breath under the water and i was just like ooh, i, I couldn't imagine that i think i would have rather just have taken the bullet um and tried to fight uh leslie nielsen because I, I was like oh my god i mean as when i was uh 82 so i was 11 when this came out and sitting there watching it with my brothers and like oh my god i mean all of us said why when did why doesn't why doesn't he just rush him but i, I don't know but yeah that that's that story always just kind of got with me i mean i love to swim and everything but just the fear of drowning and being stuck un, under to the head in sand wet sand um, I don't know if any of you listeners ever just stuck your feet in the sand and, and buried them, and then it's, it's hard just to pull your feet out. So I'm pretty sure he just could not move at all under all that. And I'm not sure how they did actual effect. Maybe it was just his head and his body was free. But even still, man, just thinking about that and, and watching this, uh, what was visually on the screen, I was like, oh, man, I think that was the scariest thing out of everything on this. And I, uh, it still bothers me. I just finished watching it again this morning. Yeah, and uh, I just still had that eerie feeling that I had when I very first saw this movie, and yeah, something that tied you over was probably the scariest to me. Yep. So, Rick. Well, and I, to tie on to that, I think the reason that that one stays with you so much is because it's something you can relate to, just like you went through and described, Kevin. You know, the fact of everybody has either gotten their feet stuck in mud or sand or something to where you couldn't get out. Imagine being buried up to your head and there's nothing you can do about it. That's a scary factor. Even a small kid can relate to that. So that is a humanistic fear. The rest of these things are based off of more monsters and things. This is something that somebody would be cruel enough to bury you up to your head and do this. Because at the end of the day, people are the real monsters. And I really think that was what makes this so disturbing. Just like what Danny was saying earlier is, you know, Leslie Nielsen is this guy that's so cool and collective, but he has this all planned out of how he's going to pull this off. That's what's scary. And the fact that he mm-hmm. has no remorse, the fact that he goes back out there and says, oh, yeah, the tide must have took him. That's what happened. The tide took him. You know, just to you know, rationalize what happened. And I think the fact of we grew up, you know, I remember my dad saying that when Airplane came out and Leslie Nielsen was on there, it was weird to see him playing comedy because he was always known as playing either the villain or a, dr- a drama so it was so out of character, and I was like, for my generation, to see him in this mm-hmm. is totally out of character for us because we've seen him always be the goofball. And for him to play this character and be so menacing, and, and you know, he plays it really well. And uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, it's a standout performance. Uh, you know, uh, like you said earlier, D- Galen Ross is, is Romero royalty from Dawn of the Dead. Ted Danson, it just gives it so much more credibility being these folks are in it. But at the end of the day, the scariest thing to me is still that thing in the crate, man. When Fluffy comes out, it's when that guy <laughs> when that guy goes in there with that flashlight that takes like 28 D batteries. <laughs> it's longer than his leg, right? And he goes in there and shines the light. And when that thing grabs him and it goes across to his neck, it grabs him and you know bites across his neck, that still looks incredible. And then he like just plants his face against the wall and just scrapes down the side of his face. That's horrifying, man. That's a bad little monster. And uh, yeah, I will never forget the the janitor's like flashing his light in there and saying, "Looks like emeralds," and just reaching his arm in there. It's, it's <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. That, that that sequence, like I still think of it sometimes. That looks like emeralds and reaching in there. It's like, oh, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know that's a terrible idea. He might he might not have known that at the time. He was kind of blinded by the by seeing the emeralds there, huh? Well, you know he. <laughs> He was chasing a quarter for the coke right. machi- for the coke machine, <laughs> and then you know he, he can't distinguish between you know yeti eyes and uh, and emeralds. And th- this guy is not equipped to live. <laughs> Darwin Award winner, huh? Yeah. Sorry, Rick. Go ahead. No, no. no I, I was going to say I just I totally changed my plan. The scariest thing in this whole movie is when Ed Harris is trying to dance. <laughs> oh, oh you telling me you did not like his dance moves? <laughs> and who was singing ABBA? Don't let go. Like, That's the only thing that comes to my mind every time I think of that scene. Hey, did you guys notice though? And in, in the, they're creeping up on you. The music that he's playing, the the mu- it's the same music that's in Evil Dead. Yeah. All right. So. Well, all the all the Evil Dead music came from uh, library archives, right? It was sure. all it was all free um, stuff that had passed its statute of limitations, so it didn't have to be bought. Yeah. It was royalty free. Well, jo- George was the king of that, man. I mean, everything he did, you know, besides getting you know Argento got Goblin to do the stuff for Dawn of the Dead, but the rest of the music is all you know free, you know, uncommercialized music. So the gunk and all mm-hmm. that stuff that he used pulled it out of the library. So, uh, but yeah, it was pretty interesting that the the same music in, is in both of those. So that was a fun little romp, you know. And and with that out of the way, we can we can talk about. It. I mean, all of the we I think we said it all the anthology pieces in this. Not one of them is really is really a weak link. I mean, you might say that you know the you might say that the Stephen King, um, the Lonesome Deaths of of Jordy Varell, or yeah, that, that's, that's kind right. of a a weak link. But it was comedy relief. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And man, although that, there's comedy in all of them, it's the end still, of that I mean, one's so disturbing, though, man. <laughs> it really is. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, holy crap, man. I mean, I'm, I'm 11 years or 12 years old watching this, and this dude is blowing his own head off with a shotgun. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty. But heavy. it's a bush. It's a bush blowing its head off. I mean, it, there's there's nothing in there that's intended to really. I, maybe it was different for you, and you know, it was kind of sad. But I, I think the whole thing was still kind of goofy. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt, it just ended on such a <laughs> such a sad <laughs> note. It's like holy smokes, man. Yeah, that's a pretty lonesome death. That's for sure. Yeah. Did Did you guys notice that at the end there was a there was a, a road sign that pointed to Castle Rock? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As a kid, I never caught the uh, the importance of that, and then I watched it. I was like, oh, look at that! It's Castle Rock. <laughs> 
it was like watching the president of Superman, the president of Superman two getting getting killed by a bunch of cockroaches. <laughs> what a way to go! Uh, the wraparound, man. I, I think you know the, mm-hmm. the the bookend pieces for this are fantastic because again, Tom Atkins. I mean, who doesn't love Tom Atkins? Uh, got to meet him a few years ago as well. Super cool guy, but he sure is an ass in this one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, the thing that always stuck out to me when I was watching because of the age again, but. You know, the kid had a really cool Rodan toy hanging up on his ceiling. And they show it like four times. <laughs> yeah, well, and to, to, to tempt me because I kept asking my folks for that and I never got it. And there it is in this movie oh. over and over. So I was like, oh, man. I, I that had that Rodan toy. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that I noticed in, in that scene, in the beginning scene, the wraparound, I mean, when Tom Atkins is really laying into his son telling him he goes because he even says to his wife you want him reading this horror crap and then you look around his room and he's got monsters right. he's got a dracula poster on the wall sure. and i'm like okay he's just <laughs> interested in, in what he likes and then you're getting mad about this comic book but uh i don't know i mean but i did it i mean tom atkins is awesome uh, i just recently met him a couple months ago at the sinister creature con and uh we my brother and i mike we uh, all we went up and talked to him about this because we both told Tom that that's how our dad was towards us of just being real strict and didn't like what we were watching. But he didn't. He, my dad, man, my dad don't care now. But at that time when we were at a young age, we kind of got that feeling from him. And he was like, oh, right on. Thank you. Because even Tom said that he was like, yeah, man, a lot of people that I talk to, they always come back to that scene. He goes, yes, it was only a few minutes in this little small movie. He goes, but everyone says that's how they felt that. Uh, of how their dads were towards them and I was like whoa I said, that was cool he goes yeah it's something that I hear every convention that I go to but yeah man like you said he was really cool he we, he was kind of off to the side nobody was he was like at the very end of the autograph area and nobody was over there and we stood there and talked to him forever he was a really cool guy yep. yeah, very, wow. that's always awesome very approachable and uh, <clears throat> I ran into him he was looking for the bathroom he's like a and this was this is after that after party thing I was talking about earlier. He was at the same convention. He was like, uh, "Hey, uh, where's the bathroom around in this joint?" <laughs> I was like, uh, "I think it's right down there." I said, uh, "He said thanks, buddy." I said, well, "I said my name's Rick." And I shook his hand. He said, uh, "I'm Tommy." I said, "Yes, sir. I know who you are." He was like, "I'll holler at you later on, Ricky Bobby." <laughs> and from yeah, he that, had to go. Yeah, from that point on, every time I saw him, he would say, "Hey, Ricky Bobby, what's going on?" So yeah, it was kind of cool. You know, I, right. and, and just talking about it now, this is a good thing to lead into, so we can start off with the movie. I, I derail this early on. I try and do that. Um, but what about the 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 handprint on the kid's face? Like you know, because he yeah. gets smacked, right? Sure. And like, and I was looking at that, going, you know, is that makeup? Or did they really just maybe they just pressed a hand against his face like before the scenes? But I mean, like it was really like little three finger marks where that kid got smacked. It, it and it was just one more thing to set you in that kid's shoes. You know, it was just one more little like reminding you that he just got smacked. He didn't just get berated. He got you know physically abused. Yeah, I was re- I was reading some stuff that um. As a joke, uh, Stephen King, he took his son to McDonald's uh, during a break uh, during and he left him in that makeup. (laughs) And he said (laughs) he said the lady in the drive through saw him and just got 
so worried that she called the cops oh. and then <laughs> i don't know what, what happened after that but that's it was just a quick little uh, thing that i read but yeah he got called out on it because that lady in the drive-thru thought that uh, stephen king was beating his son <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and the rest is history you imagine that now right yeah well yeah. <laughs> that picture would be like she would have taken a cell phone picture and it would have been all over sure. already yep the damage control from that one all right mm-hmm <laughs> So the, the thing I relate with this too, I mean, because I know he's some at the horror stuff, but this is, <laughs> I would relive this because of being a diehard Kiss fan at the great age of eight, <laughs> you know, Hell yeah. and, and the parents would come in and pick up your records and go, you know what this stands for? It's Knights and Satan Service. <laughs> Satan and, you know, Service. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, I really related to that as a kid because it's like, no, man, it's just rock and roll, you know, and, and you know, uh they want to try to pinpoint these things the reason that kids grow up to become maniacs or whatever, but nah, you either already have it in you, or maybe it's just bad parenting that makes it happen. But uh, So that's very relatable to all of us. Again, having that kid in there and that being the focal point really drives it home, especially if you're you know young when this came out. And I've always, that, that like you said, talking to Tom about it, that, that wraparound just has always stood out to me. I don't know that I would do like at the end of it where I ordered a voodoo doll and start stabbing him in the neck or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes it pretty interesting. So uh, so you kind of jump out of that. Then you it, it goes into the comic book part where you, you get the creature that's outside and it floats off and then it turns into the comic book pages, which you kind of see later on in some other movies that kind of pull from it. Uh, you know, uh, Swamp Thing and all these other movies try to do these dividers and have the bubbles come up that, that kind sure. of look like the comic book. So you can kind of see where people start kind of pulling from this movie and using it. But uh, Father's Day, which I remember as a kid, I mean, the whole talking part, I was like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I just wanted to see the monster, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you go back and watch it. It's It's pretty interesting bashing you know the the dude in the head with the the big ashtray and all that stuff uh you got again ed harris's dance is worth the price of admission you just got to see that so uh (laughs) they talk about that on that documentary as well about you know there really wasn't any music playing they were just dancing to nothing and (laughs) just going for it so uh that's a lot of fun uh another veteran of of uh Romero is John Amplis, who's playing the actual, he's the corpse that crawls out of the ground. So even if you don't see him, you get, you know, John Amplis, who is Martin, you know, from the, the movie Martin. And he's always been in a lot of Romero stuff. So I, I like how he always pulls people in that he's always used and, and just keeping them working, man. That head on the platter, can't beat it. That's that's legendary. <laughs> right. I finally yeah, I got it. my cake. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely think it was the slow. It was definitely the slowest of the uh, of the segments, which is just probably a good reason why it was at the very beginning to yep. kind of ease you into it a little bit, and then you get that shocking scene at the very end to kind of set you up for what's to come. Right. Yeah, it's it's a great opener for for what what's down the road for sure. I was probably like you, and and in the uh, as a kid, I probably looked right past all the talking. But it was my favorite part, obviously, uh, of rewatching it. You know, the dialogue is campy, but it's so well mm-hmm. delivered. And it's kind of like Clue. You know, it's kind of right. like the whole manor house in the middle of nowhere. And there's the storm brewing outside. And there's the history of the old murder. And I love the way it's put together. It's so campy, 
but it's so good. Yeah, the lady driving the Rolls Royce, she's got this, <clears throat> the little cigarette hanging out of her mouth. She's just gunning this Rolls Royce. I mean, <laughs> it's great, man. It really is. It's it's a great setup. So uh, well, and the whole the whole history being told, and then in the flashbacks, and then in the can- the comic book panels. Yeah, you know, it's where's my cake, and she's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's really it's really fun. It could almost be a silent movie, yep. you know. The dialogue's great, but it could almost be a silent movie the way it's put together in frames. Yep. And uh, I just I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more as an adult watching it. And and you have to admit, you know, the fact of him sitting there and just slamming that cane on those armrests and just saying that. Yeah. That's that's intense, man. What what I liked about it, oh well, it's if they do this effect in, in every story was was at the very end when. Um, uh, her dad comes out and he's got the head, uh, the cake head, and uh, the, the the two characters are like they show him screaming. Yeah. And there's always this when there was a single shot of them, they always had that like psychedelics imagery lighting in the behind them. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I I've seen this movie a million times and I noticed it the very first time, but then I, I just realized that geez, they did that behind everybody in this when something tragic happened. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that was one of the things that I loved about it. I like that imagery that they, they always had in the background. Yep. And it's uh, straight out of the comics, you know, that they were talking about growing up reading the EC comic stuff. So, you know, they literally just took those comics and just threw them on the screen. So, yeah, it's so effective. And it only works in this kind of situation. You know, if you tried to do that in every horror movie, it'd be like, yeah, you know. When Michael Myers is killing somebody, we don't need that behind <laughs> right. him, you know. So it, rainbow colors, yeah. bright colors behind him. It just, but it, it just, was the comic book. It was the right. comic book feel. It was all the pan- right. panels in the and the like. It it lended something to it so that it could be like a stage play, right? So that you you could suspended disbelief already because you were just reading the comic book and it was coming to life. Yep. And I and I love. Just like you're saying, you get past that point of with the with the steel frames and stuff, but then you get the shot where it turns back into the comic, and then it goes right into the next story. You know, sure. And and I just love how they use the comic to go from story to story, and uh, that goes straight into like we said earlier the the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. Um, you know, could you imagine anybody else playing this part but Stephen King? He's, no. he's just perfect for this part. Yeah, no way. This I, I really I really enjoyed this this segment quite a bit. I know, you know, I know you guys were saying it's it, it, yeah, it's different. It's comic relief and all that. But yeah, you got to realize that Stephen King never took himself too seriously. I mean, of course, you guys remember him at the ATM machine and Maximum Overdrive, right. <laughs> and uh, he was never afraid to poke fun of himself, and I always loved that about him. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I think they were trying to find somebody else, and George Romero kept saying, "Man, you you'd be perfect for this. You'd be perfect," and had to really convince him to take the role on. And in the middle of all that, too, all of his flashbacks he has, or or you know, the scenes of him going going to the doctor or whoever the guy is that's supposed to be buying the meteor from him. That guy's <laughs> creepy, man. Floating around in the chair with the big butcher knife, and <laughs> I mean. It's so out there that it just makes it wonderful. I mean, it just really, you know, again, I always look at this with, with kids' eyes. That's so far-fetched and put out there that, you know, his imagination, you know, Jordy Verrill's ma- imagination is that of a kid's because that's exactly how a kid would see a doctor. Some guy's going to come in and stick you with something and not be a nice guy. I mean, everybody's scared of those things, so... Yeah, I just, I love it, man. I think he's perfect for the role. 
Oh, Jordy, you nunkhead. I mean, it's, it's just got some great lines in it, man. Did did all this happen in Maine? Because usually that's where Stephen King's stories are. I wouldn't doubt it. Well, I mean, it. yeah, the... the yeah. Because uh, it said Boston. Right, Castle it showed Rock. Boston. Yeah. Boston yeah, Castle Rock, five miles away. Boston was like 30-something miles away. And there was another another town. Was it Portland or something like yeah, that? It was Portland. It was Portland. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's, that's his wheelhouse. So. Sure, sure. What I liked about uh, this one was, other than the, the, the comic relief of, of Stephen King, uh, Brian, you can probably appreciate this. Uh, well, let me ask you a question, Brian. Who were the wrestlers in the wrestling match he was watching? You know what? I, I wasn't even... I can't remember. You got to remind <laughs> me on that one. Uh, it, it, um, Vince McMahon was calling the match, and they, they said the World Wrestling Federation before they changed it to what it is now, WWE. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was at the time, it was the champion, Bob uh, Backlund, and uh, uh, one of the Samoans. Samoans they, they, yeah. They, yeah, they called him. They did said Samoan number one. I knew it was Bob Backlund. And I, I, was, I knew it was a Samoan as well, but I still couldn't tell which one it was. But I thought that I noticed that off uh, when I first saw this because I'm a huge wrestling fan. And, and I was happy that that and from what I understand that uh, Stephen King is as well. I said that I think that's one of the reasons why they threw uh, that in. But I thought that was cool. But just this whole I think this was like the saddest one. I mean, yep. it was he was all yeah he was oh man i'm I'm gonna be rich and and then you just slowly just see his downfall after he gets the 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 meteor stuff on him (laughs) 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 i was gonna say it but i wasn't sure go ahead man say it right meteor shit (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i love that part that's probably my favorite line in the whole the whole movie but oh yeah uh and how he just it just slowly just started to eat him up and and everything and then uh the flashbacks that he was getting yeah. uh with his father yeah i thought up. that was pretty creepy and everything but yeah i mean and, and as well even at the at the very end when he, when he finally just he couldn't do it and, and just blows blows his head off i mean you can i mean when i saw this in the theater the first time i i could kindly understand what he was saying because uh, they really uh did something to his voice and yeah. I was just like, oh my god! And then, like he even said that, please God! And then blew his brain out, blew his brains out. I was like, oh man! And I was always wondering after when when the police would show up. I mean, did they even know he was there, or did they just see all this green stuff and just say, oh hell with it and leave? Good question. Good question. Yeah, and also with that ending, you just get the added. uh, What was it? The weather report about the incoming rain. Right. So, Mm -hmm. oh boy, how how much (laughs) of this was going to spread? Right. Wow. Yeah, little little bit deeper segment than we first gave it credit for. It sounds like. Yeah, I just the whole scenes of him, you know, his dad talking to, to him through the mirror and all that stuff. I thought that was always just horrifying as well. I mean, tempting him, you know, the, the whole thing about getting into the tub and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just oh. it's just messed up. <laughs> you come out of that one and you go straight into the one we've been talking about the most, which is something to tide mm-hmm. you over. Again, when you watch uh, just desserts. They explain, you know, how they buried them and and how they got the water to do what they needed to do. So I can't recommend that one enough. You, you guys need to check that out for sure. But Brian, kick us off on this one, man. Yeah, this one. Um, you got Leslie Nielsen that finds out that his wife is cheating with uh, Ted Danson and basically lures him out. To he explains to him that you know I got something to show you. I'm gonna I'm gonna lead you to her, and then he leads him to his beach property and, and basically gets him to get in this hole and get buried 
and um, I think did they talk about it in that in that um, the making of it the the DVD you were talking about the what yeah. was it, uh, Just Desserts uh, yeah. how uh, they did the effect uh-huh. of the tank because yeah. I read that it was a, a suit that he was wearing that had a basically an aquarium that he stuck his head in yeah yeah mm. they they kind of even show you know uh, a little bit of behind that so yeah it's it's again it, it, it answers all those questions we've always kind of wondered about and they pull that off you know the fact that he sets up a TV screen for him to watch her drowned at the same time you know where, where she's you know downstream a bit and the fact that he can see her and that's happening to her at that time and he's trapped and can't do a thing about it that's just messed up, man. <laughs> yeah, and then, then he drops that line about how he just never he he doesn't let anything go, no matter what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing that, about this whole story, I was wondering, did he have it hooked up to a generator, or did he just <laughs> use really long extension yeah. cords? <laughs> that's what I was wondering. Same he thing used a really long extension cord. He he. They they show him he's driving out to where he is. In that Jeep, and he's got a he's got a cord spooling oh, right. behind behind <laughs> the Jeep, and he cuts it off and, and sets up the TV there. I, I noticed it this morning. I probably wouldn't have noticed it as a kid, but like, I was like, what is that? Is that cord running behind the the, the Jeep? And it was, you know. And I almost thought, but before I started watching this, I almost thought it was Robert Hayes and not Ted Danson, huh. because in my mind I was getting it mixed up with uh, with Cat's Eye, yeah, the the ledge. It's yeah. the same setup, you know. It's like the the guy's having an affair with his wife, and he's got a he's got an ordeal that he has to go through. Right. And uh, and I was like, that's Robert Hayes, isn't it? Or is it Ted Danson? And it was Ted Danson. And I was like, where was Robert Hayes? And I had to I had to think about it. And uh, but but it's this it's the same kind of setup. And I, I don't know I, I don't know why I had felt the need to throw that in there. Oh, but that's, yeah, that's he had good, cords because, pulling off his jeep. Well, again, you're showing that all these other movies have kind of taken these ideas and turned them into something different. Uh, you know, this one this one started all that, man. There, there would be no Cat's Eye if Creepshow didn't do so well. Yeah, true enough. you got to remember, that's, was, that's, that's Stephen King as well. So It's Stephen King, yeah. Right. I mean, and I, I have to say, the reason I think we all kind of picked this one as one that stuck with us, and we talked about it, is the psychology of it. Sure. You know, it's... It, because the monsters in this one are not really they're, they're like vengeful spirits they're they aren't really they're really the danger because by the time it comes around and they've come back for him he's the bad guy you kind of want him to get his comeuppance sure but it's the it's the two innocent well i mean they're not innocent they were adulterous but it, it's these two people that he's <laughs> dragged out i mean they're not worth they're, it's not it's not a killing offense you know, they weren't innocent of something, but they betrayed someone. It doesn't mean they need to go get, you know, drowned. Right. Um, but but it's the whole, well, you know, I've got someone, you know, somewhere and you don't know what I'm doing, but you just have to trust me, even though you don't know me and you know I'm mad at you and you have to get in this hole. Yeah. And, you know, like like, uh, like Kevin said, you know, rush the guy, you know, rush him and take the bullet. But at that point, you're like, well, he might let me out of the hole. Maybe he just wants me to not attack him while he shows me what's happening or or he might hurt her there are all these unknowns that you just really have to trust this guy and leslie nielsen does no attempt to to make him trust him either he's not like hey you have to trust me i'm your friend none of that he's like do you want what i have do you want her to be okay we'll get in the hole he doesn't lead him to believe that he's trying to mislead him and that's the scary part is because you know you're just trusting this person and uh, and putting your life in their hands, and 
again, I have to go to the vanishing. You know, it's like get in sure. the box. I'm going to bury you in the ground. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's same, there's same nothing thing. more frightening than that. Yeah. There's nothing more frightening than that. Who did not jump, though, whenever Liz Nielsen's in the house and they start coming at him and he shuts the door <laughs> and he turns around and they're right there? And there they are. <laughs> oh, that's so great, man. That's great. I love the effects that they made, uh, the, the underwater, putting seaweed on them and just making mm-hmm. them look all waterlogged. I yeah. mean, I thought that was uh, amazing effects. And was that actually Ted Danson and Galen Ross under all the makeup? I believe so, yeah. Oh, man. I mean... I was going to say the effects of them talking was, was pretty cool, too, because it, it also sounded like they was underwater. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Bubbly. Bubbly sounding. And when they sh- Did sure. shot them in the head and the like the bluish black blood come out of them, I was like, wow, they just went. Oh, out yeah. Of those. <laughs> was Savini behind the, the, the makeup and everything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is all Savini. All right, cool. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. It could have been. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the old Rod Serling show, um, Night Gallery. Sure. But, but th- this, yeah. could, this could easily be something that was on Night Gallery back in the day. And, and I love Night Gallery. Uh, so, yeah, this one this was just a standout one. And it's and it's credit to a lot of different things, man. Some great performances in this one. So, again, this one kind of gives it credibility as far as the people that's in it. Even though we're stepping into the next one, which is The Great, which has yes. Hal Hallbrook, Adrian Barbeau, uh, George Romero's wife at the time, Christy Romero's in it. I mean, so again, you just you're and that guy that looks like the doctor that's in Reanimator, even though it's not him. I never can think of his <laughs> name, but it's who he reminds me of. And uh, you know, the, I remember it took so long for me to appreciate the story around the crate because, again, as a kid, you just want to see, you know, the blood and guts parts. But, get to uh, the action. Yeah, but Adrian Barbeau, man, in this one. Yeah, you just you want Hal Hellbrook to just shoot her in the head. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you'd be among that group clapping, huh? <laughs> right. Uh, I, lo- I love that. They all just look down and, oh, and they very politely applaud. You <laughs> the, know, the golf right? Well done. <laughs> well done. Great shot. Yeah. And, and again, that that's another masterful, you know, screenwriting tool where you know they give you multiple action scenes where 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 she gets killed before the actual scene where she gets killed you know all of his fantasies are are played out to kind of placate the audience so that you don't you know you just have to wait the whole time for the thing because it is one of the longer sequences in the movie too yeah definitely the most fleshed out of everything in the in the movie you know he could have just broke up with her though Just well, <laughs> I guess, but you know, I mean, if you were married to Adrian Barbeau, it might be a little harder to, to just break up with her. I don't know. She might've been doing some things off screen that, that made it kind of worthwhile a little bit, you know, that's possible. Well, there's also the thought that, I mean, you know, the, as meek as he was and as, as, uh, as, as strong as she was, she'd put him through the ringer, you know, if it was, a yep. uh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Oh yeah. She took more than half. <laughs> You're right. She take her half and his half too, right? I love Adrian Barbo, no matter what what she's been in. But this is uh, the first movie that I was sitting there watching it, and I hate this, hate this gal. I mean, when I, when I watched it uh, much later, when I was older, uh, a buddy of mine, he goes, "I hate this part." I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because he was, he goes, "It reminds me of my ex-wife." Oh no! <laughs> like, 
So he always gets really happy when he shot her in the head and when she finally gets it in the end. But he was just like, oh, my God, he goes, I hate her. I can't look at her. That's all I see is I won't say his wife's name, but he goes, that's all I see. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But but this one, this one was awesome. And another thing, um, Fritz Weaver played. He was a Dexter Stanley. Um, Was he trying to get it on with those little with the with the younger college students because it seemed what? like he would it seemed like you he know. was flirting around with them <laughs> oh shit <laughs> well if, if you were a college professor you probably would be too because <laughs> the way he was standing there holding a drink and looking at them and just flirting around them and they were just giggling and then uh i, was just, I, I don't know it's, watching it's, it this hmm. time around i was like whoa i didn't ever even notice that before very possible a very it's amazing the older you get and you look at these things you start seeing sure stuff that you were like no wait a minute <laughs> huh so yeah that's a good call man i, I didn't pick up on that either but i don't know I, I thought maybe he was interested in the guy with the really long flashlight well and also you know uh his in when he uh when he brings wilma in you know for for your mentioning of the the guy trying to to get it on with the the younger girl students you know that's part of his story you know is that he had cornered a girl down in there so you know that that seed is planted you know maybe it's something that that he knew about his friend that he just you know used as a you know, as a part of the ploy to give it more um, credibility, um, I, and I really love those those letters. You know, the, the yep. letter he wrote to Wilma and like right. the the, mono, the little monologues that that Hal Holbrook, Hol, Hal Holbrook says, because <laughs> I mean, they're just they're, they add so much flavor to it. He's his voice is so steady, and uh, and they're so well written. Right. I mean, I, I said that you know the tides stuck with me. And and the the roaches scared me, but I can't say that that the crate isn't the best put together of all of the stories. Yeah, it's a good one. And just the fact of when he finally gets Billy down there and he's like banging her against the crate, and you're like, it's not going to work. <laughs> he went through all this trouble, and that thing's going to be like, yeah, I'm not hungry anymore. I've just ate three people. <laughs> and now that you say that about about the notes and everything, this it was too well planned a bit to me i think it seems like that um henry was his name uh it seemed like he had this plan in his head for years and he finally got to do it because it was just it was so perfect uh, on how yeah (laughs) and and i loved it because he because he what he had maybe an hour or two to to throw this all together and it was a perfect a perfect plan (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's a good point he had been fantasizing about the murder for years, so he probably continued on to figure out how he could get away with it. Yeah, that was the only way he was going to get out of the nightmare that was his marriage, right? Yeah, it was the only good way to where if she died, he didn't do it, so he was he was free and clear. And I, I don't know about you guys, because of the way it ended, but I always wished when they made part two, and that's what drew me to part two. I thought, well, maybe they'll do a continuation of what happened here, you know, because they just dump it off. And I thought, well, maybe maybe this will continue on, you know. I don't know if any of y'all ever thought anything about that, because they basically just chain it back up, dump it off in the lake, right? Yeah, what's next? <laughs> right. Yeah, and where did it go? <laughs> yeah. 
So I thought maybe in part two, maybe it's the return of the crate, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if that yeah, if that creature made it since, what, 1836 or whenever they, they right. originally closed the crate, I mean, without any food or water or whatever in there, then a little, little bit of underwater action isn't going to bother it at all, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, instead of the crate part two, we get, thanks for the ride, lady, you know? But, uh, <laughs> which I'm not knocking. Which I'm not knocking. I enjoyed it too. But you know, kind of sounds time, like you're knocking it, man. That's a different. Kinda that's a, like that's a different a podcast we'll cover on. <laughs> uh, what What I like about the crate the most is the suspense. Yeah. Um, of like when uh, the 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 intern guy uh, Charlie Gleason, Robert Harper is the guy we were talking about. Um, when uh. Dexter is ex- explaining to him to showing him what happens. He sees the blood all over the floor and he sees the the, the trail marks that goes back uh, under the staircase. Just the build up for him trying to see what's going on while, he, while he's trying to get that shoe and shining the flashlight in and then slowly creeping in there. Just the suspense. Cause you, you knew it was coming but you, you, it was just the build up to it and then when it finally came it paid off and, and like, uh, you had, like you had said the effects of him getting bit in the throat and slashed in the face I mean I, I just yeah. that was amazing I loved it I mean it was just I, I loved it and, and I've noticed all during the, the horror scenes that the light would change all right. spooky and crazy and red or blue and it was yeah. just awesome I loved how they did that with this in, in this story yeah, it kind of gets that you get that Argento kind of color flash going on when when the surreal stuff is happening like that. It just adds to it so much. When you end up really hating somebody that's in the movie, it's just a credit to their acting abilities. And uh, so yeah, but yeah, Fluffy's always going to be a favorite of mine just because I'm scared to death of it. And uh, I got my picture made a while back with Greg Nicotero who had Fluffy right there on his table. We we kind of did a picture, oh. where, so that was kind of cool, you know. Um, but yeah, I still looked at that thing and I was like, yeah, I'm still scared of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, real, real quick, what I liked uh, in the comic books in this story, uh, when Billy gets hers, the uh, the fluffy actually just bites, pretty much bites her whole face, and yeah. I liked that they they incorporated that uh, into this. I mean, it wasn't as gruesome as it was in the comics, but I mean, it, it was good enough. I was glad that they, that, that um. Fluffy bit her right in the face, so I thought that was cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, coming out of that, we get into the final one of the bunch, which is they're creeping up on you. You've heard us talk a little bit, elaborated on it a little bit while ago, but, yeah, this is uh, E.G. Marshall, who is basically a, an acting legend. George Romero said he was even shocked that he agreed to come and do the movie because apparently he's got a lot of high clout as far as, you know, uh, people really respect him in the acting world. And, uh, again, it's that Superman 2 performance. That's what did it. <laughs> That's what did it. Pushed him over the top. <laughs> but uh, he nails this, man. I mean, you're talking about hating somebody. You, you, you just you can't stand this guy, and you can't wait for something to happen to this guy. And uh, the setup is fantastic for it. Um, I remember just being amazed by this because of how white everything was in the room, how sterile. And, uh, you know... This is what happens when we raise our kids too much with hand sanitizer. <laughs> they become this That's kind right. of person. <laughs> so we're developing a generation of these of these people. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, and and that that phobia is eventually what kills him off. So the fact that he thinks the way he does about people and things, and then, and then the phobia that's created because of that is eventually what kills him. Is it's a pretty strong statement as far as uh, 
what's going on with this. So this this one to me has more meaning behind it than the other ones do. This one's actually trying to make mm-hmm. a, a social statement of of uh, don't be like this. You know, don't be the the crotchety old white guy that hates everybody and everything and manipulates everything and threatens everybody's jobs and uh yeah it, it's it's pretty deep mm-hmm. i didn't mention i not mentioned i didn't realize um we knew he was just this uppity rich guy that was better than everyone but i didn't notice the the n-word he threw in in this scene or when he was on the phone talking to someone i was like how did i not catch that before yeah uh, but it, it goes back to well, you thinking you hate him you already hate him right from the get-go and right and you want something bad to happen to him but i mean eg marshall man he he was amazing in this i mean and like you said i mean or like they said you were you were shocked to see him in this um but yeah as far as superman 2 my favorite one out of all of them but yeah he was awesome <laughs> as a president but the this scene i mean what made me love this this part uh of the the final story of this one and even to this day, when I go and pour my cereal, all I can think about are is there going to be roaches in there once I dump it in my bowl? Because that, that scene of him dumping his cereal and being <laughs> roaches all in it, I was like, ugh, that, that stuck with me forever. <laughs> yeah, when he's grinding up the stuff in that in that processor and he's eating it and he's digging through it, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, uh, I I couldn't make it all the way through this one actually. I had to. <laughs> I had to turn this one off about halfway through. It was really getting to me. Yep. And and that as a kid, that was it. Like I, I finally made myself get through it, but it it stuck out of me as, as the one at the end that I wouldn't watch because you mm-hmm. know he finally gets himself in that safe room right. away from all the, the roaches and he's like, Ah, you can't get in here. You can't get in here and then you know that, that pallet behind him, that upholstered bench or whatever starts moving. Oh jeez. And it's just Ugh. like and, and and you know what's under there. I mean, again, like um, I think it was Kevin that said, you know, about suspense in the crate. You know, suspense is used pretty well in a few of these. You know, where where it's just when you think something's going to happen, when the build has has finally reached its crescendo, it doesn't happen. And then a few minutes later, it happens in some other way. And and for a, a set of simple stories like this, it, it really does stick with you because it's like oh, I really thought it was going to happen this way, and then it happened that way. You know. Uh, and and that one, you know, with that, I'll always remember that moving thing behind him, you know, because again, that was his last bastion of safety away from these things, and and they got in there too because right. the roaches, the roaches, you know, how are you going to stop them? Mm-hmm. Man, and let's let's face it, the the effect of the body laying there and then busting out of his chest and coming out of his mouth is nightmarish. Uh, I would put that up there with some of the effects some of the greatest effects in horror movies ever. That thing is just... It, it, it makes you get the heebie-jeebies when you're just sitting there watching it, man. It, it's it's that well done. What what I liked about that effect is, um, going back to the comics again, seeing that for the, for the first time in the comics where I'm sitting there in the bookstore reading this, and then I think out of everything in the movie, I think that's what I wanted to see the most. Sure. I knew it mm-hmm. was I knew it was coming... And I wanted to see how they were going to do it. And this is an 11-year-old uh, Nez sitting in the theater watching this. And I was blown away. I mean, to me, to me this movie is a special effects, uh, a practical effect 
masterpiece of what they did in this and and i loved it and it another thing that made me think about it is after all the roaches just came pouring out of his chest and out of his mouth and everywhere when the camera the camera shot pulls back and you see just yeah. the the flood of roaches in there I'm like damn they must have just filled his whole body <laughs> to, yeah. to, to have that much in there yeah it's 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 so much that it's beyond what would actually fit into a body so it's just i don't know man it's great it's great it really is and the, the old clown car concept huh right <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it almost makes you forget what how terrible a person he is just because it's you're just in shock of of what's going on and like you said the effect of them pouring out of his body right and it, it was done so well yep yeah it, it, which kind of becomes a trend later on rob zombie of uh <laughs> making you feel compassion for the bad guys you know sure it's it's getting to where that's kind of the trend now and and this obviously helped you know move that forward as well because there's no reason for you to care about this guy at all and at the end of it you're just like there, there's no way you didn't walk out of the theater and still have the <laughs> after seeing that you know like we said after that you get the the end of the wraparound at the end where the little boy that you get uh savini and and uh, another guy that's after that's the the trash pickup guys they're on the back of the the, the trash truck and they pick up the comic book and they're flipping through it because the dad's throwing it away in the garbage and they're looking at all the different advertisements and stuff in there and then they see one for a voodoo doll and the the piece is cut out of it where you can order oh that's right <laughs> yeah and then it shows the the dad sitting there eating breakfast and the mom's ironing a shirt and she notices there's a patch out of his shirt where somebody's mm-hmm. taking a piece of material and the kid is taking the material and put it around the doll and he starts stabbing the thing in the neck and Tom Atkins is you know oh you know through the neck and that's the end man it's uh it's pretty awesome, man. I mean, the wraparound to me is just as strong as the stuff you see, and, and uh, it's just it's just a well made, put together movie. And you could tell that they loved this collaboration of getting together, and doing this, and and putting these stories together. So, uh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. What I liked about it, it the the little advertisements for uh, for the voodoo doll or the one uh, you tired of getting sand getting kicked in your face oh uh, yeah those little ads they would show in between uh it right little small little segments in between uh each of the, each of the stories i love that um but but what i love i keep going back to the comic because that was the first thing i had seen with this i mean i love it i mean they they just reprinted it so it's out there now because cool. it was out of print it was out of print for a while and it was really expensive i wasn't going to pay for it but uh, but yeah if any of you guys have not read the comic and you do want to it's out there uh pick it up it's well worth whatever i think it's like 20 bucks or something but it's well worth it it's awesome artwork i, I wish i knew who the artists were i didn't pay attention to all that when i was a kid but uh, I loved it. It was awesome. But I, what I loved in this, in the movie, is the comic that he was reading had a different cover. And then at the end of the movie, it's the it's the kid uh, poking the voodoo doll. That um, yeah. did they did they ever did they say that was the creep or the creeper? Yeah, because they did in the second one. Yeah, I think okay. that's the 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 name, but they never say it in in the first movie. Mm-hmm. But. You know, again, it's going back to that old EC comic of they had a kind of a crypt keeper type character that that you know sure. did these things. So, gotta have your host, the storyteller, if you will. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, but this movie is a masterpiece, man. Yep. I love it. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, go stop everything and go watch it. Absolutely agree. So, and I thought coming out of that, I mean, anybody else want to say anything about Creep Show before we go any further? No, I, I think Kevin did a good job of surmising that it's a, an excellent movie and everybody should check it out. Yeah, Nez, right? Nez is good about that, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it one thousand two hundred and thirty-eight cockroaches. Whoa. No. I think that's what the producers gave it too, and it was the most expensive part. Uh, I give it one creature hanging on a crate under a staircase for 146 years. <laughs> I'll give it one Adrian Barbeau tied up in Swamp Thing with her arms oh, up in the air. There you is, go. Which is a good thing. I'll give it a million uh, severed head birthday cakes. <laughs> <laughs> And I will give well, it Father's one Day Ted cakes. Dancing. I give it one Ted Dancing, uh, sitting underwater drowning. <laughs> uh, Should have happened years ago. No. no. Oh, nobody <laughs> saw that episode of Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. Uh, you lunkhead. <laughs> I give it one Ed Harris dance, <laughs> <laughs> and that says a lot. Man, Ed Harris was still on something too. Man, he was not there. Yep. He was still in Knight Rider. Exactly. Ah. Well, which is which is what led into them creating creep shows because if you watch Knight Rider again, Knight Riders, Knight Riders yeah, I, I did it wrong. Of course, yeah. Ed Harris is is the King Arthur of the bunch, but Stephen King is there and his family are there watching this event going on where they're jousting on motorcycles and stuff. So they became friends through all that somehow. I think they invited them on the set and then they decided to put the story together for creep show. So it's uh, yeah. If it weren't for Night Riders, wait, wait, did it did it go like where they're like, so first you're jousting on <laughs> motorcycles and then you're, you're friends. friends. Is that how it went? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that's exactly how it went. <laughs> Thank you, John Lovett. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of Night Riders, uh, Marty Skiff, I think it's Skiff. That's how you say his last name. But the second. Uh, Garbage Man, that was Tom Savini. He was right. also uh, in, in Night Riders, and he was one of the bikers in uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, oh, no nice. kidding. Yeah, again, uh, Romero likes to reuse people and just keep them busy. So, uh, yeah, man, that, that was something I always liked about watching the Romero films. Which, speaking of, I know we've just talked about Creepshow, but we kind of have to break this into two different things. This is something quick I just kind of wanted to do while we're here. Because I know we're all Romero fans, but I want to know... Of the original zombie trilogy, uh, the Dead trilogy, which one of your guys' favorites? Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. Well, Dawn of the Dead. So, uh, uh, what about you, Danny? You got one. I'm gonna have to say Night. Cool. I mean, I, I'm not not just to be different. I really like right. Dawn, but Night of the Living Dead just uh, it it was the first one. It synopsizes the whole thing and. Yeah, I'll stop talking. No, it's the original. It's where it all came from. Well, to me, Mm -hmm. I'm one of those. I'm one of those cellar dwellers, man. I I love Day the best. Uh, Really? Yeah, Day's my favorite of the trilogy. You've Uh, said that before. Yeah, yeah. There's something about it. I I don't know if it's just how dark and bleak the whole story is. The effects are just amazing, and uh, I don't know, man. There's something about. Uh, Joe Palato's character, just the the meanness of the people in this one, you know, Dawn is is got a grander scope because you get the bikers coming in and trying to take over the mall and stuff. I love Dawn too, don't get me wrong, but there's just something about Day that just 
hits me, man. I think the fact of you're in the situation and you're trying to make the the best of it after things have calmed down a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you've got the, the military angle of trying to, you know, stay in charge of what's happening and they're losing their grip quickly. And uh, then you get the whole experimentation of trying to get, you know, coexist with them, which is just asinine. <laughs> well, I, I do like that part at the end where Patrick Swayze, like, tears that dude's throat out. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably my favorite part. And then he dances with him or what? Oh, yeah, yeah. Man. Well, I've the time of my life. <laughs> yeah, 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 All right. <laughs> So it doesn't surprise me. And Don Don is a classic. Um, it's fantastic. But uh, so outside of that, what is your other favorite Romero film? Or is there a favorite of him that goes beyond that? You know, his stuff is so surprising. I'm trying to think of his body of work. And of course, you think about all the zombie movies first, right? Because that's where he, he you know, that's where he made his his stellar debut. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that was his first movie. To be honest, I think it yep. was. Yep. But if it wasn't, it was definitely the one that was kind of his breakout. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then he's got some movies that you just would be like, "That's George Romero," and it's almost Creepshow is almost one of them because you know you kind of don't realize the scope of his talent. Well, you got, and then you watch a movie and you're like, "Oh, th- this is this is George Romero." Yeah, people don't think Monkey Shines or or you know the Dark Half or. Oh yeah, dark. Uh, dark half was a masterpiece. Right. Uh, that was was it. Timothy Hutton that was in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that, what a great performance. Right. I, I that yeah, that's that's probably mine. Now that you're talking about it, I was gonna say Monkey Shines, but just for the silliness of it. But uh, yeah, Dark Half is a really good chilling horror movie. Yep. It's it's a well made film for sure. I love Season of the Witch. I mean, wow. it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Never seen but, it. Um. I'm gonna have to go with one of his last movies, uh, Diary of the Dead. I mean, I, I love I love all the movies, and Dawn of the Dead being my favorite. But um, and and even Dark Half, Dark Half was good. Monkey Shines was awesome. Martin, I, I love that yeah, movie. Yeah, I love Martin. But Diary of the Dead, he jumped on to the found footage thing. Yep. And I I did not like it the very first time I had seen it. I had seen an advanced screening of it, and I left the theater like. What the hell was that? But once mm-hmm. it came out on DVD, I, I watched it over and over again. And I just watched it recently. I mean, after he had passed, I just kind of went through my whole uh, dead series of movies. And that is one of them that, for what it is, it's it's really simple movie. But mm-hmm. I loved what he did with it. I mean, now that I do, like I said, the first time I saw it, I didn't I didn't really care for it. But I just I don't know. I, it's just something uh, about that movie that I love. I mean, I, I love found footage movies and it, it is kind of getting played out. But I think he did an awesome job with that one. It's, well, it's really simple. It, yeah. It's right to the point, and And I love it. I think he was kind of returning to what made the original so great. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. that one as well. I saw it in the theater when it came out and uh I didn't care for the last one though. Which one was it? Yeah, neither, neither did Kevin. Survival. <laughs> Survival. Yeah. Yeah. Survival uh. <laughs> yeah. No. That. That. But I thought Diary was his last great attempt at trying to, you know, capture the glory of the old stuff. I thought it was pretty solid, man. I'm not familiar with his whole body of work, to be honest. But of the ones I've seen, you know, and, and I've certainly been impressed with them. I, I still have to go back to Night. And sure. I ha- I have a soft spot for Night of the Living Dead, maybe because I saw it early on, and it was one of the first movies that really 
kind of scared me in, in a um, not at the moment, but much later kind of way. Right. right. After I watched it, you know, I kind of started to process what that meant. And, um, and I think there's a whole lot going on behind that whole film. And there, there's a whole lot of, obviously, I, I love the fact that there's social commentary in it. And I hate the fact that that commentary has kind of gotten lost in the larger narrative. Right. And there's so much zombie stuff going on now that, you know, you, you don't have the, you don't see the nuance that he put in it. You don't see that at Dawn of the Dead, it's about a group of people escaping reality in a shopping mall because the shopping mall is kind of a, an invented reality and how that ultimately brings about their demise. You know, they, they, they figure they're okay because they're away from the zombies, but it's other people you got to worry about. And that's always, that's always the narrative is that it's other people you got to worry about, not right. the overwhelming ghouls that are coming after you. And that's, that's kind of what night, you know, it, it's kind of, again, like I said about the, mm-hmm. the birthday cake one, you know, it, it's kind of, the whole manor in the estate is kind of a stage play. You have a few people with problems with each other and they're playing it out with a larger looming enemy. It stuck with me, you know, yeah. it, it's just a, it's a very concise concept. And, uh, Nez, I'll have to make sure to check out Diary of the Dead cause I haven't seen it. And, um, you know, it was, I wasn't avoiding it. I remember when it came out, it played at the Belcourt twin over here, um, where I saw Cloverfield actually. And, um, and I thought I, mean, I should go check that out, but you know, just going to see it, it just got lost, and and I haven't. But you know, since you gave it a, such a, you know, since it's your favorite Romero movie, I might have to just go check it out on that alone. It's a different uh, take on what it, he does. It this is supposedly uh, supposedly supposed to be the beginning of it all, right? But set in the modern times. Um, I yeah, it, I've, uh, it was just because. Um, what I had seen, we saw four movies of, of awesomeness and, and uh, of just the living dead eating everybody. And this one, it, it just, it didn't have, it had it, but it didn't have as, as much as he's had in his previous movies. But I just loved how he shot the whole thing and, and the whole concept of it all. And um, yeah, I was just like, why, why is he doing found footage? Yes. He, he jumped on that bandwagon, but I thought he did it. Uh, really good. I mean, it's an amazing movie, man. You, but you just have to sit through it. it. It's a really slow burn, but you just got to sit through it and enjoy and enjoy it for what it was. It took me a few tr- uh, a few viewings to to really enjoy it because I did, like I said the first time I saw it, I walked out of the theater like, what was that? And but I just I'm such a huge Romero fan. I had to have it. I'm a completist. I had to have yeah. it in my library. So and then I just watched it over and over and over. And now I love it. Uh, one that uh, grows on me every time I see it um, is Land of the Dead, because yeah. uh, you you get the evolution of the zombie that they they're now able to communicate with each other, and <laughs> some of them actually use weapons in this, and then you you also got um, still the rich is the rich and the, the poor is the poor, right? And it's it's kind of crazy how you got um, you got the rich people staying in this high rise building and everybody else is just out on the streets defending for themselves and it's yep. pretty crazy. Yep. And it, and again, it's just the tear down of civilization and your rich people are still going to try to hold on to what they have. And, and, uh, you know, that, that again, he's, he's making that, that commentary of, you know, what happens if there is a fallout? How, how does these things work out? The zombies is just a background for all these stories that he's telling. It's amazing. I think in the mm-hmm. first movie that wasn't the intention, but I think as he went along, the zombies were just, 
you know, the situation. Danny and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, Cube, movie called Cube, it came out. Same scenario, except that instead of it being zombies, you're in an interchanging room that changes every so often. You're with a group of people that's dealing with, with chaos. It's the interaction of those people that's what keeps you interested. It's the reason Walking Dead's gone so long. It's about those people sure. involved. So, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the crazies, man. I love the crazies. Um, <laughs> it's 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 low budget. It's early Romero. Another big statement movie. That priest running outside and pouring gasoline on himself and setting himself on fire mortified me, man. It was just, I mean, the fact that that dad at the beginning you know, kills his family and then sets the house on fire and then they got him in a cop car later on while the house is burning and he's yelling for his family to get out. Oh, no. You know. Wow. That movie is heavy, man. And uh, I, I, that one just stays with me. It's so strong. And the fact that at the end, the, the government's like, yep, we can't let this go any further. Let's just nuke the place. So uh, I thought the remake was pretty decent, but it still doesn't hit me like the original does. So that that's my favorite Romero film of all of them. That one really stands out. I do have a soft spot for Martin as well. Just a modernized vampire tale. But uh, outside of the, the zombie flicks, it's got to be the crazies for me, for sure. So. Yeah, I love that one. That one had a real um, the dread of of something happening and everyone just going nuts. I mean, that that was pretty much what he did in all the movies. But when the the uh, the guys in the white suits, what, what were they? Um, just the, I saw this movie a long time. Just like, the military. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, just the military coming just, in and trying to try quarantine the town. But you got people that are you can't tell the difference between the people that are nuts and the people that are normal because. Just some are just acting totally different and setting people on fire and things like that. So, yeah. you know, you got the people you're following through the story are getting knocked off as well. So it's just it, it's a zombie flick without zombies. I mean, that you know, it's, yeah, yeah, good so, way to put it. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I just, love I love the original. Original one was amazing. I mean, yep. I did like the the remake. It, it was what it was. Right. But this one, I mean, I, I loved it every minute of it, and I, and just. It's it's a just the style of Romero. I mean, you, he right. has that in pretty much all of his movies. Right. And, and speaking of remakes, uh, really quick, which out of the original uh, uh, Dead trilogy that they they did the three remakes, which ones did you like? No question, best? Night of the mm. Night of Living Dead was amazing. Hmm. Again, I was I'll say Dawn again. I like that uh, the Zack Snyder uh, reinterpretation pretty good. well. You know, fast zombies in this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah, I'm uh, Dawn of the Dead. I mean, I love that one. Zack Snyder's was amazing, and that's probably my favorite uh, out of all. And I love Savini's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I loved how it just stuck with the original story with little changes. Tony but, Todd, I mean, man. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was awesome. But but Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead out of those three, did Day of the Dead? No, <laughs> <laughs> it was what it was. Uh, <laughs> terrible. But Dawn of the Dead was my favorite out of those three. What you think, Brad? Um, I'm also going to go with a uh, Savini's and Night of Living Dead. Um, That's for the man right fact, there. Um, yeah, they gave they gave the character Barbara a little bit more to do in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. I, li- I liked her. I liked her uh, character arc in the movie, where she started, where she ended off. Uh, you seen any of the remakes, Danny? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm very familiar with the Thomas Savini remake of of Night, and I've seen the the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn a few times. Um. And I'm a, I'm a fan of Zack Snyder. Yeah, I think just like um, I think Zack Snyder has a really good eye. You know, his imagery is always really crisp. Um, 
but you know, of them, I, I have to stick with Night. I guess I'm sounding like a broken record now, but um, the remake of Night of the Living Dead is really good, and I think it kept all the important factors yep. that made me like the first one. You know, it, it, sometimes remakes will lose track of that, and although it's different, I think it still, you know, it kept the spirit that that always made me like Night of the Living Dead when I walked away from it. And you got Tom Towles as the bad guy, which you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when we f- finally got to meet him, and I didn't know if I wanted to shake his hand or slap him because I hated him in Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Every movie I see him in, I hate him. You know, he's such a bad guy. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, he just plays that part so well. So, yeah, all all great ones. Uh, you know, I, I like so much Romero stuff, and, and it's it's sad we've lost him. And while we're recording this, we have lost uh, Toby Hooper as well. And we talked about maybe sneaking a little Toby Hooper stuff in there, but we want to kind of keep this short and sweet. With that being said, Lance, you guys go ahead and tell everybody what your show is, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Well, you know, Brian, Brian is our uh, is actually uh, lovingly nicknamed the Bear, the Barry White of Alaska, and he's right. he's kind of our social media dude. So I'll let I'll let him tell everybody where to where to go. Yeah, you can uh, go on, uh, type in the horror returns um, for the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, our email address is uh, thehorrorreturns at gmail dot com, and um, we also have a Facebook group. Um, Everybody's welcome to join the Facebook group. We love to interact with our listeners. Fantastic. All right, Kevin, your turn, man. Tell us where we can find all your shows at, buddy. Uh, yes, um, I'm also on Podbean and uh, iTunes. Uh, just look up um, Skater Nez Podcast Network. Uh, Skater spelled different. It's S-K, the number 8, E-R. Uh, second word, Nez, N-E-Z, and then just Podcast Network. Uh, all three of my shows are on there. Um, East Society, Magnus Podcast, and Big Guys Podcast. They're all on there. And uh, I'm also I also do a segment, uh, the Native Side with Nez on the the for the Horocopia podcast. Uh, we I usually close out the show with uh, Blind Frankenstein, and I can believe I believe you can find that on iTunes as well. And uh, yeah. Go to Facebook, look up Magnus Podcast or East Society, like the page, uh, and yeah, that's it. Old Twitter, uh, at Magnus Pod, I believe. I, I don't know. I go on it every now and then, but um, <laughs> Instagram, Magnus, and yeah, that, that's pretty much where you can find me. <laughs> awesome. And Danny and myself have uh, the Hell Ming Power Hour that we do. Uh, it's not all horror stuff, which I think we all kind of you know dabbled in, in different things, but right. uh, but we just uh, we just have a love for movies that we grew up with, uh, very nostalgic. It's not just about Flash Gordon. People kind of get confused about that. It's just the namesake of the show, and it gives us a nice background. But uh, Danny, you want to tell them where they can find us at, man? Uh, yeah, you know I've, what's a podcast? <laughs> It's where people talk like we're doing right now, you know? Oh, right, right, right. Like the recording stuff. Right. Got it. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's the Hail Ming Power Hour. Um, we have a page on SoundCloud. We have uh, – are we still on Stitcher? No? No. We, we Anything that's tied into Legion, we're, we're on, so. Yeah, it's iTunes, uh, Google Play. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which is probably where most of our traffic comes through. Um, so – Hail Ming Power Hour is pretty. Um, it's it's pretty unique. So if you type that into a search engine, you'll probably find something that'll lead you on a little merry chase to find us. And we'd love to have you. So yep. go on board. Yep, iTunes, all that stuff. Also, social media. We're also on on Instagram and, and Twitter as well. 
And uh, we're just a bunch of goofballs, man. We have a good time. And we are so excited about being able to get together and do something like this with these guys because if it wasn't for us starting a goofy little show, we wouldn't have met these guys. And uh, so it's just great to get together with people that, that enjoy the same types of things and just get together and uh, do something good. So, uh, guys, it has been fantastic getting together and chatting with you guys, and I hope we can do it again. Oh, we will. Thanks for the invite. Really appreciate it. Brian, great yeah. talking to you, buddy. Yes, it was definitely a pleasure. Big fan of the show. Also big fan of uh, your other show, uh, Short Bus Cinema. Oh, yeah, Short Bus. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> lest, we, lest we forget the Short Bus. Yeah. <laughs> We're all headed there after recording, folks. <laughs> And I've yeah, got crew. something I've got something up Jump. my sleeve coming out here in maybe another two or three weeks too, so y'all be on the lookout for that too. And you've been in touch with him. Johnny Krug isn't isn't near the flood zone or anything, is he? Uh he's he's got some pretty heavy rains that it kinda messed up his ceiling in his house and stuff, and he's dealing with a lot of mold and stuff like that right now. So Kevin, man, enjoyed uh, getting to actually talk to you a bit i know we just met briefly kind of in, in texas and we've been talking a lot online about stuff so it's it's kind of cool to get together with you as well and and uh talk some romero man yeah man thank you for for inviting me on to this um i've been on the uh, horror returns a few times and uh, just meeting them uh just chatting with uh brian uh, off and on and brian's also been on my show but uh hanging out with lanton and uh and Phil and the the beautiful wives down in Texas and yeah and just meeting you really briefly, uh, I didn't I didn't know who you were. I just actually actually got into your show uh, through Lance. We were listening to someone. We were driving around and then when uh, when I saw you, I didn't know who you were until I heard your voice. You have that <laughs> <laughs> you have that that voice that you, you can't you can't forget and then i was standing there and listening to you what i remember is your awesome jaw shirt <laughs> and <laughs> i was like oh my god and I mean, you were you were just just a little bit that i was there around you you were hilarious and this i went back and i started listening to your show and i love it danny you as well man you guys you got an awesome show um but uh, yeah man i just i just can't wait to hear more and i just finished uh, your last episode and uh same thing with um the horror returns with their death note episode yep uh I'm leaning more towards the anime guys than, than the movie. <laughs> okay, <but. laughs> most people are. <laughs> most people are. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I mean, all you guys' shows are amazing. I, I, mean, I love being a part of them uh, when I can, and I just, I can't. But, but my heart does go out to everybody down there in uh, the Houston area. Um, it's, it's it's a tragedy. I, I, I can't imagine. I live up on a hill, so I... And I don't get no flood, but I do know that there's a volcano close to us, so hopefully that never erupts. But yeah, my heart, my uh, cousin, she lives down in the, in the Houston area, and her house is, or her apart, yeah, it's her apartment. She lives on the lower floor, and it she she showed videos and everything, and I was just, oh my god, I I can't believe uh, that stuff like this happens. I mean, but it but it happens, and uh, right. all we can all we can do is do what we can to help out That's send right. money send food or go down there and help if you're close and uh like i said my my heart goes out to everyone uh that's affected by this right well with that being said i guess we need to sign off people keep your heads up there's gonna be brighter days ahead and uh just take care of yourselves and bless you all we'll talk to y'all later
you what you're trying